church world service was never really a job. It was more of an advocation. It was something I wanted to be involved in. I think that's why I lasted as long as I did is because it it really did not matter what position I held as long as I felt that I was making a difference. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Okay, good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And, you know, this is an episode that is um, part of the number of a number of episodes that I'm trying to do um, around my 100-mile walk that will take place at the end of March, beginning of April in Seattle area. And in, in those specific uh, episodes, I talk with people that I've worked with or are working with uh, to end hunger or who I know um, that have the same passion as I do. And one of the of, of them is my um, old friend, uh, Patrick, who will introduce himself. Patrick, please go ahead. Happy to, yes. My name is uh, Patrick Walker, and I did have the incredible opportunity to work with Maurice and, and the whole team at Church World Service for 20 years, uh, just retiring a little over a year ago. Yeah, so. Yeah. And, and you know, Patrick is, is one of, of uh, the CWS staff that was part of the work around the Cup Hunger Walk, uh, among others. Um, he did a lot of different things, but also one of the staff that has really worked with me on, on several occasions. It was all, it's always great. And, and, and during those conversations, we had, a, um, you know, many talks about life and, and about our families, and, you know, the important things in life. It's 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 awesome now that we virtually walk. Um, uh, so so uh, I'm really glad that you're on this little podcast. Um, uh, Patrick, tell tell me a bit about uh, you know where were you born, where did you grow up, and then bring us to how did you ultimately ended then up working for an organization like CWS? Uh, it's uh, it's uh, amazing to me. Uh, the journey because it really was um, just it just kind of fell into place. Mm-hmm. It, it it wasn't something that I had planned. Um, but when I look back at where I grew up in central Pennsylvania, and I was a PK, a preacher's kid. Mm. My father was ordained United Methodist pastor, um, and so from an early age. Uh, the whole belief that we do unto others what we want to have done to ourselves, we take care of our brothers and sisters in this world, uh, that whole uh, faith-based compassion uh, was a part of who my family is and was, and uh, hopefully can, we continue to be. Um, so when when... I 
growing up in the church, believe it or not, I, I really wanted nothing to do with the church. Many preachers get yeah, actually. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You, you hear you might hear that a lot. And and it's because it's it can be uh, pretty much a fishbowl and very uh, you know mm. very difficult and challenging because of uh, the example that your parents might be trying to to show in, in the community. But I ended up um, going on to uh, Ursinus College and then on to seminary, uh, looking uh, to, to really end up in social ministry or social work is, is what I had intended to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, did, did feel pulled back uh, kind of because of my relationship at that time. Uh, with the mother of my kids, I met her at seminary, and uh, uh, I ended up going in the parish, and, and she started uh, looking around for a position, and um, we just kind of helped each other along the path, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, she she developed cancer and, and died mm. at, a, at a very young age. Um, when when my kids were just uh, nine and six, um, and so uh, that was quite a challenge. But yeah. we had the faith community to lean on. We had family to lean on. I mean, you talk about how family is important. It it is absolutely critical in those hard times of life. Um, and we we had that, and it was it was nice. It helped me uh, look beyond the moment and move forward. I. I was in the parish only five years and then moved on to ecumenical ministry, uh, helping to lead a uh, county council of churches. Mm. And then after that, uh, after doing the county council of churches, uh, I uh, got to know very well the CWS uh, representative who would come around every year to see how we were doing in our plans for the crop hunger walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the crop hunger walk was something that was simply a part of who I was. I mean, mm-hmm. my father was one of the first people in the area to host the crop hunger walk in 1971 in Milton, Pennsylvania. Oh, he wow. he went before his uh, church and asked if he could organize a crop hunger mm-hmm. walk. And uh, uh, so that was when I was 11 years old, telling yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. my age, but I, I participated in that. Mm-hmm. And so crop walk was a part of what I did from early on. Mm-hmm. I even, you know, in sports, I ran cross country and track. So uh, I had my cross country team run the, the crop hunger walk one year when I was in high school. Uh, and, and then, uh, when I ended up in the parish, that seemed like an obvious task that I could take on. So for the small community that I was, uh, involved in, I was the coordinator for their walk. When I went to the council of churches, I was the coordinator or helped to coordinate the walk there in, in one of the oldest crop hunger walks of the nation, uh, which, you know, in York, Pennsylvania, um, and then, uh, yeah, then the job came open mm-hmm. uh, for the regional director in Pennsylvania uh, for the Fund Development Department of Church World Service. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was asked 
by the interim director if I would help find someone for that position. So this was not uncommon. You know, I, I would do that for a lot of positions, uh, being in the role of director of the Council of Churches. So I started going around to pastors I knew who I felt would be appropriate and and would be interested. And I, I couldn't believe everybody kept saying no. <laughs> that they that they they weren't interested in in the job, and it finally dawned on me about a month into this, you know, that I wasn't getting anyone. That wait a second, <laughs> I think this is a fantastic opportunity. Why am I trying to find someone else? I <laughs> maybe maybe I maybe I should apply, and so I did, and it, it obviously was the correct. The correct fit because then I and the rest spent is the history, next, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I spent the yeah. next twenty years uh, thoroughly enjoying uh, working for Church yeah. World Service. Unbelievable! Wow. Yeah. And and if you look back at those twenty years, uh, Patrick, what are you most proud of? I think. I think uh, helping to instill and maintain the passion that a lot of people already have. I mean, it's already there. They, they know that it is in their best interest to walk through this life as compassionately and as gently as possible. And if you just encourage and thank them and help them and assist them in any way, I mean, you don't have to direct them. I mean, they will find ways to make their space, their community, their world better. Uh, all you have to be is uh, kind of like the you know, a little kindling for them, you know, a little help getting the fire burning a little brighter. Uh, and, and yeah, that to me, that was the greatest joy is having the opportunity to travel around to different communities, talking to people and seeing the passion that they had in their lives and what they were willing to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, for the listeners, I, I do think that the area where you work, uh, Patrick, um, that was, I mean, they always played a, I, I think, um, yeah, they were an example for so many other crop hunger walks, right? Because one of the first, if not the first, crop hunger walk um, originated uh, in, in Pennsylvania, right? Uh, in York? Um, yeah. Or yeah, not? Yeah. I mean, there are discussions, <laughs> debates around that. Who's the first? But one but of the there, first. There, yeah. Yes, one, one of the first yeah. uh, walks. It, it was, according to every research I've done, uh, it was one. It was the first walk called a crop hunger walk. Okay. It it wasn't the first walk for the hungry. I mean, what was happening back at that time was amazing. Uh, kids from high school were getting mm -hmm. together and walking 50, 60 miles. They were just, you know, raising money to address issues of poverty and hunger. Um, there was a spark that was happening, and it was it predates the crop hunger walk. Um, and, and but then, you know, obviously, 
our staff is connected to communities in the world and they saw what was happening and a a group of Lutheran youth wanted to do a walk in the Dakotas and that was the first official walk that uh, benefited church world service in that way. And then the very next year, um, Reverend Roger Bertner, who you met, and Reverend Bill Sowers that you've met, uh, two of the original uh, gentlemen, along with uh, a wonderful youth leader, Margaret Horn in York, Pennsylvania, they got together and they came and there was just this uh, synergy around the idea of walking for the hungry. And out of that meeting um, came the idea to have a crop hunger walk in the fall of 1970. And uh, yeah, that's that's when it just took off. If you look at where crop hunger walks developed from there, you can kind of see this explosion of events that just took off from around York and across the nation uh, because of because of that event and that was very successful. Uh, Patrick, what I when I was uh, listening to you, what what struck me is is your comment in terms of that so many youth were involved at that time. You know, walking fifty to sixty miles. Um, yeah, and and you know, I mean, we are still trying to figure out, you know, how do we get more uh, uh, young people um, be part of the crop punk walk again, or do we need to look at something else? You know, is is the walk is that not something that the younger generation relates to. So, so yeah, tell us maybe a little bit in those 20 years that you uh, worked on the Propongo Walk, did you see that change happening? You know, uh, less youth being involved and, or yeah, bring us through that. So, so what did you observe around the participation of the younger population and, and the, the Propongo Walk and ending and working on ending hunger and poverty? Yeah, I, I, there has been changes, um, but it, it's hard to pinpoint any one thing, and and I'm I'm not inclined to to say the youth have changed necessarily, but uh, culture, society, even the faith community has gone through some significant changes in those twenty years. Um, so I I don't really believe that there's less interest or concern on, on, on youth today. In fact, in many ways, I think they are more passionate about the future of the world um, and how, how are we going to sustain this world? And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not hard to see how um, changes in the activities and restrictions through the pandemic, um, the internet, the social media opportunities, how how mm -hmm. all of that has you know just brought all these speakers basically yeah. I, I don't know how else to say it. it's it's just like the the volume has been cranked up mm -hmm. all around us to such an extreme level 
that um, kids are navigating the best they can, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, this world uh, that we never had to do. I, I, I can't even imagine trying to raise uh, a child today. It, it is a difficult time. Um, but I, I have continued to see passion. And I, 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 the kids I do see who come out to the walk want to be there. They're not just there because an adult asked them to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think they are looking for their, their way to make a difference in this world. Uh, Patrick, I mean, you, um, you know, you're not working uh, for, for church full service anymore. Um, if I ask you, you know, when you when you look back at that at that work, you know, the work that you did for for CWS, um, yeah, is there something you miss now? You know, <laughs> I miss having the opportunity like this to talk to to uh, colleagues that I have a great mm-hmm. deal of respect for. Uh, you know, and 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 where we share a passion uh, for for this type of work, I, I do miss that. I miss the opportunity to to travel to different communities and be involved. Now, wherever I am, I will be involved with with communities that are uh, nearby. So, so I that part is still going to be uh, a part of who I am. It's it's interesting. You said you know now that you're no longer working, you know, <laughs> for no. church work. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah, and and we talked a little bit about this. I know we did when we were walking that one time in Vienna, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, to me, uh, church world service was never really a job. Mm. It was more of an advocation. Mm-hmm. It was something I wanted to be involved in, um, you know. And and I think that's why I lasted as long as I did is because mm-hmm. it, it really did not matter what position I held in, in the organization or, or what the work entailed. Um, as long as I felt that I was making a difference and that I was contributing and that my passion was lining up with everyone else's and the agencies, um, I felt really good uh, about what we were doing. So, so it, it's kind of, yeah, I've, I've had the luxury of not viewing it as work mm. so much as just, you know, an opportunity to live out uh, one of my significant passions in this life. Um, no, and, and actually, I, I think we, um, you know, my, my observation is, although I try to be the listeners in this, in, the listener in this podcast, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting worse at it again, um, after one and a half years of listening, I, I put my opinion uh, much more <laughs> often into it. Um, but I, you know, talking about making a connection with the previous topic that we discussed about youth. Um, I, I do think uh, the younger generation, um, you know, if within their work, quote unquote, 
they definitely search for work that is an extension of who they are you know so, yes. so uh, uh, that's that's at least um what i've heard and what i've seen um which is yeah some of the things that that uh, still provide the hope that i have that we can turn this around and make this world more sustainable and, uh, and better um so talking about sustainability you know that I'm very passionate about the sustainable development goals that we as a world have uh, you know developed together it's not it's not perfect uh, far from it um but at least it's something that we together agreed upon now um the question that I always have Patrick is uh, asking my guests to if they don't know it to check it out of the sustainable development goals are and then the next question is you know um, what do you want the listeners to know about sustainable development goals? Yes, I, I, I am aware of the sustainable development goals uh, that, you, that were formed by the United Nations, and um, I fully support them and uh, am hopeful, although it is 2023, <laughs> 2030 is coming very quickly. I think that's the goal date to uh to achieve yeah. some of these and um you know as as time goes by you, you it gets harder and harder to see how we're going to to reach some of those um but it is it is a critical thing for us to keep those goals before us um to have them in, in the back of our minds whenever we are contemplating whatever we're doing, whatever policies, whatever uh, we're trying to um, to do in this life, because it, it's, it's going to get harder and harder, just like with climate change. The longer we wait, the more difficult it's going to become to prevent uh, the globe from warming beyond sustainability. And um, yeah, and and again, there it's such a complex issue. There are so many components um, to address this. I'm I'm in the middle of reading um, Extra Life. I don't know if you've heard of that Extra Life by Stephen Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, where he talks about one of the most significant changes that has happened in the last two hundred years is that we've basically gained an extra life. We've gone from a median age or a life expectancy of 35 to now over 70. So all of us have basically gained an extra life. We, we talk about how the population has grown exponentially over the years. Well, a good chunk of that is the fact that people are living longer, not simply the fact that there are so many people in the world. And, and because we know birth rates have actually gone down in, in a lot of places a lot of countries uh, there's a decline in in birth rates and uh, but the population continues to grow people continue to live longer that's both a good thing and also a thing to go oh yeah <laughs> how are we going to take care of all of our brothers and sisters in this world um, is it doable yes uh, we we truly believe it is but uh, it's going to take some really um, active and conscious efforts and this 
change from wanting as big a piece of the pie as you can possibly have to what do I really need to maintain and sustain my life? You know, what are the essentials that I need? Um, yeah, and, and the fun thing is every study that's out there shows that, you know, even on income, once you reach a certain level, your happiness kind of peaks, you know, and, and you don't need more beyond that. Uh, and, and food is, is medicine. It is, it's magic. It's, it's incredible, but you have to have healthy food and in the right portions. And if you do that, you're, you're actually eating much more sustainably and you're actually eating in a much more healthy way for your body. Uh, and, and yet we have to break down all the systems that are in place to think we need this, we need that, or we need all this sugar. We need all, uh, it's, yeah, it's incredibly complex. I, I would like to I'd like to piggyback on on the word that you use, you know, conscious or consciousness. Um, I, you know, I, I came across uh, this increasing group of people around the world that saying, you know, one of the reasons that we are not reaching those SDGs that we're behind is that we never pay proper attention to the skills, abilities, and knowledge that you need as an individual and as a community. And as a result, they come up with the inner development goals, the five goals, you know, being, thinking collaborating, relating, and action. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts about that, about inner development goals? I think that's fantastic. I think it is. I, I really do. I, I uh, spent some time studying mindfulness, um, and I know that I think is tied into one of the goals. Um, and it's, I guess, being is, you know, being aware of who you are, where you are, everything. I mean, Basically, if you're alive today, you've won the cosmic or galactic lottery. You you really have. I mean, it is phenomenal to, to be alive. I mean, just the odds of you being here at this moment for who you are is astronomical. Miraculous is, is the only word you could use. And, and yet, we don't get up every day thinking, ah, oh, what a miracle. Here I am, <laughs> but it is, it really is. Mm -hmm. And, and if we could somehow uh, have that attitude, you know, permeate our society, the difficulty is too many people, they wake up and they don't have the basics they need to simply survive. And if you're worried about survival, there's not much room for anything else. Um, so, so this kind of has to go hand in hand. It's one thing to say, oh, if people were just more mindful, well, give them an opportunity to be mindful by 
caring for their basic needs, provide the shelter, provide the food, provide the, uh, the opportunity to work, the education, the basics that they need. And then, you know, that will tie right in with uh, the inner development goals. It's, it's, you can't work on one without the other. Uh, they're so intertwined. You, you mentioned, um, yeah, about, you talked about happiness. Uh, are you, are you, ha are you happy? Are you a happy man? <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Uh, and you may have to, you may have to edit this, uh, be, because of our, our walks in the past, I remember you addressing me once as the angry man in CWS or something like that. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't know, I don't think I'm an angry person. I think I'm a very passionate person. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes comes across uh, pretty hard, you know, because I'm, I'm pretty determined uh, in, in, on many issues and, and things that I feel are, are critical and important. Um, But it's, I, I have worked on being happy. In fact, I, I took the course on happiness from Yale, um, you know, uh, to, to study more about what makes people happy. Because I think particularly in our work, When you look at the uh, sustainable development goals, when, when you look at the situation and how desperate things are, um, it's, it's so easy to, to lose hope. Um, and, and hope is absolutely critical for who we are and for your well-being and your happiness. Um, so I, I did study uh, happiness a little bit and, and contributing to others. Uh, makes you happy. Um, uh, you know, just being mindful can help you make you happy. Being grateful can help make you happy. Uh, there are so many ways that you can be happy. There are some biological reasons for the uh, disposition that you may have, <laughs> but there's probably at least 40% of who you are that you can nudge a little bit one way or the other if you practice uh, gratitude and kindness and compassion. Uh, so am I happy? Um, I'm not one of the happiest people in the world, <laughs> but I'm, I definitely believe in it and uh, practice activities and methods to increase my happiness. Thanks, thanks for sharing that, uh, Patrick. And you know, when I called you an, uh, an angry man in the past, or May, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I probably would have done it for two reasons. One, actually, I don't think anger is 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 a is a bad um, uh, emotion. True. Uh, so, True. so you know, it's part of uh, you know how you feel at, at, at times. It's yeah. not good. It, it's better to, to you know bring it out and to keep it inside. Yeah. Um, for your happiness, actually. So, so uh, ultimately, so um, and and 
I always admired uh, and still do is, um, you know, if you're passionate and you feel strongly about uh, injustice, you know, there is a chance that, uh, yeah, you're not afraid to speak out and, and, you know, that might be addressed by others. And, and, and apparently I also did that as, as an angry man. So, no, I, I, I only want to commend you for, for uh, you know, honesty. That, that's how I, I uh, consider you, uh, you know, honest conversations that we have always had and, and we also have today. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, Patrick, uh, music is very important to me. So I always have a question about music as well. Um, I warn you in advance, the majority of my guests always have problems with answering this question. So don't worry if, if it's that similar to you. Um, the question that I have is, if I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song that embodies for a big part who Patrick is or what Patrick is about, what piece of music or song would that be and why? Yeah, I, I do appreciate the heads up on this one because uh, music has been a major part of my life and different um, pieces, um, compositions over the time have meant so much to me. Um, and at this point, the one that lingers the most is um, Eva Cassidy's version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Mm. Um, uh, Eva Cassidy is no longer with us. I don't know if you've heard of her, uh, an amazing singer. Um, she uh, was actually being treated for cancer the same time my wife was in uh, a hospital in Baltimore. And uh, we actually met and uh, she shared with us some of her music and um, uh, had a few exchanges with her parents and and her voice um, is just so full of energy and life and hope um, it was it, it was amazing um, and so uh, her music was a, a part of of the music that uh, we listened to my uh, my kids and I as as we traveled places, and in fact, uh, somewhere over the rainbow was the song I danced uh, the father daughter dance mm. at my daughter's wedding, uh, and and we particularly asked them to try to imitate Eva Cassidy's version mm. of of the song. Uh, her cover of the song and uh, it's it's just beautiful um, mm -hmm. and to me uh, the importance is it's it's possible it it might be over the rainbow uh, but it, it holds on to this notion that there is this place this special place mm -hmm. that we can get to um, yeah where dreams really do come true. 
Um, these conversations always go fast, uh, Patrick. Um, I have two two uh, a question still for you. Um, the the first one is, well, I, I told you and I told the listeners at the end of of this month I'm going to walk my 1100 mile walk in Seattle area. Um, I will be talking with people locally. Um, yeah, a any message that you would like me to to share with them? The uh, first thing, always, in, uh, is to say thank you. You know, and and to to mean that sincerely, just to say thank you for continuing to uh, take these steps. Uh, it's it's one thing to have faith and believe that we should be striving for a more loving, caring world. Uh, it's completely another thing to then put that into action. And I've always believed that the Crop Hunger Walk was a amazing example of actually putting it into action in in a very basic simple way you are putting your faith your love your beliefs in action by taking those steps and so um, say thank thank you on on my behalf to anyone who continues to walk okay i, I, I will do um then my last question is and um, I people that work with with me for for the last couple of months have heard me say this, and I've I've, I've raised this uh, question both for institutions as well as for uh, people. And it is from the indigenous population. They always look at seven generations. You know that it takes seven generations. So when they talk about the ancestors, um, yeah, this the the number seven generation. The number seven is, is really important. So my question to you is, you know, seven generations from now, if, you know, the children that are linked with you are talking, you know, are in their living room or are sitting, you know, outside around a campfire, and they talk about their ancestors. So that means about you. Um, what do you hope um, they will be talking about? That that is a a really good question. Um, it's it, it's probably the primary motivator, I think, for most people, whether they know it or not. Um, uh, again, um, another book that I was reading, I, uh, I'm at a loss for the name of the book, but when we talk about an afterlife, uh, a lot of people think, oh, you're talking about heaven, you're talking about, you know, you know, nirvana, you're talking about enlightenment, uh, you're talking about something beyond this existence. And, and yet, um, 
if you ask someone if they knew the world and everybody would cease to exist next week, you ask them what they would do. Would they continue doing what they're doing? Would researchers continue seeking a cure for you name the disease? Would engineers continue to look for perfecting, you know, uh, earthquake resistant buildings? Anything. And, and the overwhelming response would be, no, what's the point? I don't think a lot of us realize that what really motivates us is this internal belief that the world will continue, that there will be life after my life, that there will be life after your life. And a lot of what we do is for our kids, our grandkids, those generations down the line uh, so that they will have opportunities and a world uh, even better than what we have. Um, so when you ask, ask, basically I heard the question in reverse. What would they be saying about us? I'm hoping that they're simply living their life as fully and as meaningfully as possible. If they never even mention my existence, that would be perfectly fine. Even a generation from now, if they never mention my existence, what matters to me is that they exist and that they have the opportunity to be a part of this miraculous moment. There be a part of a part of life. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, you 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 silenced me in terms of you know. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah, as as always, thank you so much for our conversation. Um, yeah, is there anything I should have asked you or anything that I would like to share? <laughs> when you asked me to come on this show and talk about crop walk and so forth, um, my mind flashed back to, I think, one of the first times I met you. And I, I can't remember where we were exactly, but the challenge went out for you to walk in wooden shoes. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was in Indiana, <laughs> in, in Elkhart. Was it okay? Yeah, was or, it or, or in or in South Bend, yeah, somewhere like that. And 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 I, I think Reverend John McCullough uh, challenged you to do this, and that he would match whatever the gathered body could raise uh, for you to actually walk in wooden shoes. I think back to the, your hotel or something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. And and what that that was what flashed in my mind and what an amazing time that was well for me not for you necessarily because <laughs> i i know that it was a painful task but you did it and i was so glad that you did it because 
I hit up every colleague I could to raise as much as I could in that moment because I saw it, hey, this is a a you know dollar for dollar match mm. going on here. You know, we need to do what we can. And so I that was my first <laughs> me- memory of of you. And you know, I've loved you ever since. I honestly have because that's, of, that's, because that's of that. mutual love, Patrick. No, and, and definitely not, you know, I, I did not grow up on a farm. I'd never walked in wooden shoes. It was definitely a painful uh, exercise. So, uh, but worth it. So, yes, we gave, we gave some extra money. So that was good. Um, yeah. Thanks, uh, Patrick. Um, yeah. Awesome that uh, we were able to uh, talk with each other after, uh, well, at least two years, I think. Oh, if not more, yeah. great uh, seeing you, although it's on the screen. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. So for those of you who aren't familiar, which if you're an avid listener, I'm sure you are, the 100 Mile Hunger Walk was started in 2012 by Maurice to raise funds and awareness to fight hunger and poverty around the world. This annual event came to be because Maurice was inspired by the spirit of volunteerism behind the CWS-sponsored Crop Hunger Walks, which are a community-organized charity event that takes place in over 500 locations across the U.S. each year. So because of this, Maurice decided to set out on his own journey and put his feet where his heart was. This year's 100-mile walk will take place from Monday, March 26th, to Saturday, April 1st, in Seattle, Washington. And on top of that, our fundraising campaign will run until the end of the summer. All the proceeds will go to support CWS's global programs that work to create a world where there is enough for all. So, how does 100 Mile work? Well, each year Bloom walks 100 miles through CWS and crop communities and spends his time meeting with our crop volunteer teams, with beneficiaries, with local community members, political officials, students, artists, and other like-minded individuals, like yourself, who work to support their community and hunger and promote a healthy and nutritious lifestyle. This year's theme is centered around the inner development goals. The idea behind these is that we must first unlock and grow our inner capacity, skills, and abilities to fully materialize humanitarian transformation. These IDGs are guiding principles that help us achieve our goals as we work with local communities here in the U.S. as well as in the 60 plus countries that we work in to help end hunger and poverty while building healthy communities through increased nutritious lifestyles, especially for children. So what are some ways that you can get involved? Well, for those in the Seattle area, you can come out and walk with us for a mile, maybe two, or you can see how long you last. But don't worry, you can always come out and just say hi, meet with Maurice, have a chat, and then send him on his way. So on top of that, another easy way to get involved is to make a donation. Participants are also able to start their own fundraising page to continue their efforts by reaching out to their own communities to get involved as well. So to make a donation or start your own fundraising page, click the link. Well, of course, you're wondering where. Go to the podcast notes and click in the links. In other exciting news, this year Maurice has been chosen to be an ambassador for Knox Gear. Knox Gear is a brand company who makes safety and visibility gear for people and their pets who love to walk, run, play sports, or anyone who lives an active or outdoor lifestyle. And yes, you're right. Also, this link can be found in the podcast notes. When the link is used to make any Knox Gear purchase, 10% of the total purchase will be donated back to support CWS hunger and nutrition programs. So for anybody interested in joining us, getting more involved, or simply just wanting to stay connected, you can send us an email at innovationhub at cwsglobal.org. 
You're right. You can find the link again in the podcast notes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, if you haven't already, become a Walk Talk Listen subscriber. So let's get walking together. And don't forget to hashtag go the extra 100 mile. you for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram